0: Hello everyone, welcome again to Mastermind.fm, your hosts as usual, Jean Galea from WP Mayor and James Laws from WP Ninjas. This is a new episode, new kind of episode, we're doing a Q&A session, we have, a number of you have sent in questions, so we're going to do our best to answer them in this episode. So we're going to start off with Mitchell, uh, Mitchell had quite a lot of questions, so <laughs> we're going to start with him. has has only three questions in reality but we're going to start with those very interesting questions and tackle those so the first one is about health and fitness
1: i got a question for you gangsters when you are working at home all day how do you make sure you don't snack and what kind of exercise do you do because you're you're sitting on your ass for a really long time and i guess on, on top of all that just kind of what's a good healthy diet that you maintain
0: Okay, so um, let's start. I I think there are two separate things to talk about here. One is about diet and snacking. And the other one is about not sitting on your ass all day. So I know James uses a standing desk, for example. Uh, Unfortunately, mine is not a standing desk. But I make some effort to move around. And since I work at home, I actually go to coffee shops every now and then. And uh, so let me talk about some some of my routines and then James you can talk about yours. So I start off my day with uh, a gym session which usually involves swimming, weights or even some um, other sport and then I, I'll come back home to work. In the afternoon I actually go to a co-working space so that involves 15-20 minutes cycling there and back. So I'm kind of moving and shifting around my my workspace. And that keeps me from spending the whole day, eight hours sitting down in the same position. I found that very helpful. James has a more fixed location, but has a standing desk. So I'm curious to see how that works out.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, after our last episode on health, I'm trying my best to start walking a little bit more often. Uh, sometimes I'll walk to my office, which I'm not too far away, so I can actually walk there. Um, I spend first part of my day at a coffee shop, so I'll usually, if I do drive into the office, I will park and then walk to the coffee shop, which is only a little ways away. So I try to keep myself a little active. I'm trying to slowly kind of get back into running uh, during the day as well to kind of add that to my routine. Um, standing is a big part for me. I try to stand... I, I probably stand about 60 to 70% of my day, but as a rule of thumb, what I try to encourage my team to do is at least 10 minutes every hour, stand up, stretch your legs, move around, uh, walk away from your desk. Um, and that usually at least helps. I noticed it had a huge impact on me. When I was sitting all day long, I would go home and I just wanted to sit down some more because I was just there's the blood flow wasn't happening. My metabolism had kind of slowed to a halt. I just didn't, I didn't have any energy. But once I started standing for a significant portion of my day, I, I feel a lot more energetic when I do get home, which means I'm more, act, more able to either exercise or play with my kid and things like that.
0: And it seems like the idea that you presented to your colleagues about taking a break every hour also involves a psychological aspect, since maybe they go and have a walk or stand up and talk to somebody else. So it's not the act of physically standing up only, but actually taking a breather from their work. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. You kind of unplug from what you're doing. Uh, we also kind of, we have adopted playing ping pong a lot at the office. So uh, throughout the days, different uh, team members will challenge other team members to a game and they'll got to get up, walk away from their desk and just kind of unplug mentally as well as physically and play a rousing game that usually gets our heart rate up a little bit, gets us moving around and it works really well.
0: Would be good to have a ping pong table at comes, right? That's right that's right <laughs> so what about snacking um one thing that impressed me to say the truth uh, and <clears throat> when i was at pressnomics was the candy wall that we had uh, <laughs> that was just so amazing for me it was the first time that i encountered such candy walls apparently they're quite a thing in the us because when i visited san francisco then in some offices of startups I encountered the same thing and fridges fully stocked with all kinds of unhealthy drinks. So that was very impressive for me. <laughs> so, actually, what I do for not snacking is not keeping uh, unhealthy stuff around. So I'm not tempted because the thing is, if I get uh, stressed or something with work, the easiest thing to do is to get some relief by eating some chocolate or getting a drink you know so it's very easy for me personally to fall into this habit and I guess it's the same with many other people so for me what works is just not keeping anything around obviously you're gonna get hungry so plan beforehand for the healthy meal for lunch and for dinner and in between just keep a few nuts like almonds or even yogurt, Greek yogurt without any sugar That's very healthy stuff to keep around and snack on when there there's real hunger involved. Another key mistake people make is not drinking enough so that will actually make you feel hungry when it might be that you're just thirsty so i keep a bottle near me all the time
2: yeah i would agree with that we actually have a uh, have you know we all work in the same office space so we actually added a water cooler so that people can make one it gets people to walk away from their desk to go get the water but it also makes the water easily accessible so people can drink a lot more of it so I, i agree drink lots of water that helps um and and you know, if you're the type of person that just snacks because um that's just a part of your, you know, your your the way you work, then doing what Jean said is have healthy snacks, have nuts, some fresh fruit, things that are good for you that and making them accessible so that you're not having to if you have to dig through and prepare something, you are less likely to eat something healthy. But if it's something you can just grab and snack, uh you're you know, so make the junk food harder to get and make the healthy stuff easier, more accessible. Um, That would be probably the majority of what, what we do here.
0: And going back to exercises, what I'd like to add for those who are inclined to do this, you can always buy a yoga mat and do some exercises next to your desk. I mean, nowadays, most of us either work at home or work at offices, which really encourage the healthy behavior. So. I don't think it would be strange at all if somebody just did a few exercises on a yoga mat every now and then.
2: One of our uh, developers have, uh, I think it's called like a wave board. It's kind of got this concave thing that he'll when he's in his standing position, he'll kind of stand on and it kind of keeps you off balance and you kind of have to really focus a little bit. But that's great for your kind of your core, kind of just always engaging something while you're standing. And it doesn't require you to do jumping jacks at your desk, but still is actually activating some muscles in you. So that's another fun way you can do something really small that can help.
0: And on the topic of fitness in general, I know we've talked about it and maybe all these things that we're mentioning might seem like a waste of time, but the time you invest in fitness will mean, will bring about a greater productivity. So at the end of the day, your output is going to go up, not down. Yeah, a healthy
2: body results in a healthy mind and a healthy mind Results in better productivity and smarter work. And that's always a better thing to do.
0: You can't tweet that. (laughs) Okay, so I guess that answers Mitch's question about that. So we can move on to the next question by Andrew.
1: Hi, guys. My name is Andrew.
2: Just like you, I run a business on WordPress. However, mine is still in its baby steps. Um, I would like to say thanks for the valuable insights you have been providing to your podcast as I'm finding them relevant and interesting in what I do. Secondly, um, I have a query which you probably have a lot of experience with, and it relates to how one can choose the right market for them and converge it to a particular niche, narrow it down to a specific market group. Thanks in advance, and I look forward to hearing from you.
0: Great. So this is a very interesting question, which many of us struggle with all the time, right? how to find a suitable niche for our existing or new products. When I think of existing products, I mean marketing, right? So it's always a challenge to find the right language to speak to your target audience. And when you're making a new product, obviously you need to choose on a broader basis what kind of people to target and what product to offer to them. In my case with my plugin i've already spoken about this in one of the earlier episodes but it was quite i think that came about by a chance with the plugin because i was already doing it for myself and then i acted on the feedback i was getting on the org repo however i must say that wp mayor helps me a lot in finding these niches and getting feedback from clients from anyone really, not only clients. So WP Mayor can act as a funnel for me to gauge the demand and supply of WordPress products within the ecosystem. And thus, I can target underserved niches. James, what was your experience?
2: Yeah, I think uh, having a channel by which you can vet ideas is important. So if you're freelancing or you're doing agency work, what are common requests that you're getting? That are problems you can solve with a product instead of having to solve that problem over and over and over by building something unique for each client. What can you generalize and create features that they can kind of modify and set themselves uh, is one way of doing that. So we kind of stumbled upon Ninja Forms because we had a client who needed custom forms for event registration. And so we had built a solution for that, and we weren't really familiar with the other products in the space. So we built our solution and then thought, I wonder if anybody would like this product. So we then started to test the market by just seeing what was out there and what were people saying about forums and in general and we found out it was a heavily saturated market there were lots of products in that space but there was still a lot of grumbling so it's a space where people were very were still unhappy now you had people who were super gung ho happy about their product that they were using or people who were just completely and totally disenfranchised or unexcited about the solutions that existed. So we knew that, with the very least, we could solve a problem for a large number of people that were unhappy in a very saturated market, and so we set out to accomplish that. Um, It took us a long time to figure that out and find our market fit. But once we did, by, through a lot of experimentation, that, that helped out a lot. So some of this is just kind of deciding what your goal is. If your goal is to come out strong with a, with a solid product, I highly recommend just looking at your space that you either touch frequently in your, in your current work. And find out other solutions that you because of your expertise in that area that you can solve test for markets that are highly saturated because that means people are already spending money in those markets and that way you can kind of look at what's out there and say what are the problems that i can uniquely solve because of my experience Uh, so that's that's one way i would go about it
0: yeah and i think we could also talk about some of the more obvious mistakes that people make when trying to choose a niche. Um, one, one thing I've been thinking about lately is that we should really be building a system before choosing our product. What do I mean by that? Like I've seen a lot of developers falling in love with their own uh, idea. So however they, they got this idea, they start building this product and halfway down the line, they realize that now they need to make it fit to a market and needing they need to monetize it because they're spending so much time on it. And it's not always you're not always lucky to get a good market fit or there might not even be enough demand for this plugin. So in my thoughts nowadays i try to build uh, a system like what we have built uh, james what you've built with wp ninjas where you've got the office you've got a team of energetic and passionate employees and really if somebody took away ninja forms from your business tomorrow you could always start something new right away and you have all the necessary components to make it work within a very short period of time whereas somebody who's chasing an idea without having proved market fit beforehand will have a really tough time scaling up even if there is the demand for it.
2: Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, even with Ninja Form, before we had this team that we could now build pretty much anything that we want to build if we have an idea. Before that, it was just me and my partner, and he did most of the development. I did most of the design and marketing and business side. Um, but it took us you know a good year and a half before we started to see sales actually start to come in and think, Oh, this might be a business, and then a year after that before even one of us could quit our job and focus on it full time so it was a it was a long process so if you're gonna if you're this is something that you're gonna want to do, you may start first from the product side, then build a team so that you know now I can produce more products. I think it's always healthy to build relationships uh, when you're building a a business like this anyway, because you don't want to be stuck, you know, kind of on your own trying to figure this out.
0: And another thing I must mention is not one of the key mistakes. Another key mistake is not reading enough, not knowing what's available on the market, not being in the groups where people are discussing stuff that you're planning to build, right? I've seen people build a product which actually existed. And six months down the line, realizing that a completely superior product and a bigger team existed out there that would make it impossible for them to compete, right? So that was... A real devastating blow for the for these guys. And even involving yourself in Facebook groups, Slack groups, that will always give you a good indication of what the community or ecosystem needs, even if you don't have your own agency with your own clients to guide you. Yeah, there's
2: also uh, WordPress.org has a section in the plugins of just kind of ideas that you can upvote for people to possibly build. So you may see what's out there and what's being upvoted a lot. The other thing I do is uh, look at uh, the WordPress.org's plugin repository and look at the top three or four pages. What's climbing? Have you noticed something trending up that's climbing really fast? That might be a niche that you want to get into because you either have experience in that area or because you think you at the very least have the team behind it that can build something that's unique in that space. So that's another uh, thing you can look at.
0: Very interesting. And I I mean, Andrew might have been referring to other spaces, not only WordPress. So I guess it's important to say that what we've discussed here about this question applies to any area, not just WordPress. And uh, James, thank you for that piece about the .org um, ideas section. I didn't even know about that. Oh, yeah. And we'll make sure to link it up in the show notes. So next question is again from Mitchell. Um, Let's see what he has to say in this next one.
1: Hey, champs. One other thing I've been really interested in is pricing and billing for agencies. If you look in online in forums, you'll see ninety-nine percent of people um do, oh, I invoice fifty percent up front and then I invoice fifty percent when I'm done. Um, and there's very little deviation from that. Um or you have some people who have it priced in milestones. So that stuff works, I mean, but I've, I've talked to a lot of agencies and, they, and they've gone into models where, you know, they build per week or they bill per day. And I've seen it kind of broken down into three different ways. One being, um, you know, ad hoc, we just scope the project as we go. Uh, the second being kind of, uh, okay, you prepay hours, um, but then we'll kind of scope as we go so then you don't always have to worry about doing these these small payments. Or the third, you know, is kind of like the retainer model, um, where people prepay in advance and then you get a dedicated time. I'd really just like to explore these options and 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 make it uh, find a better solution because for us we're trying to uh, move everything so absolutely all all work is paid up front. So for example, everything under $10,000 we you have to pay it. um beyond that we can break it down into milestones. But I really want to look into, you know, even selling credits Um, So everything's prepaid before we begin any work.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, A few different models mentioned there. I have limited experience with agency work. I mean, I I ran an agency for two, three years back when I was in Malta, and the way I did it was... what. One of the systems Mitchell mentioned is uh, milestones, so I'd break it down in 20-30% and the final 50%. And that worked well for me. They weren't big projects, so I guess when when you're dealing with bigger projects and the amounts at each milestone start to grow bigger, you need to make sure that you've got more control on when they come in and whether they actually come in at the end. James, do you have any experience in this area?
2: You know, I don't have a lot of experience with uh, agency work. I did do a lot, a little bit of freelance uh, development for a period of time, but they were definitely much smaller clients. So uh, really the top tier would probably have been ten thousand for most of my clients. Uh, so I definitely had a under three thousand we did a hundred percent up front. Anything that was under a three hundred three thousand dollar project because it was a small kind of grab a theme, modify it. And so we took it all up front but we did a payment structure we did kind of a hybrid of the payment plan milestones when i when any project that we did we had pretty set milestones so we would do a uh, i believe we did 40% up front 30% at a at a mid tier milestone and 30% uh up right before delivery. We always got payment before final delivery. We had our own environment where they could see everything, test everything, play around with everything. Uh, And once we received final payment, we would then move it to their site, to production. That was kind of our our payment process. I think the issue is, it sounds like, uh, based on on Mitchell's question, a lot of it is, how do you get away from the, the, the payment process? But it also seems like a lot of scope as you go and I just want to kind of talk about that a little bit. I think that's dangerous to try to scope as you go because what you're saying is we have not set full expectations at the very beginning of this project. So when you start scoping in the middle and the scope changes or shifts, all of a sudden you may find yourself in a situation where your client or your customer has a very different expectation than you do. And you found yourself now at with a rift or a kind of a line in the sand moment in the middle of a project and you never want to find yourself in the middle of a project butting heads with your client if you can help it i i firmly believe you want to you want to scope everything on the front end of that now you may have a fee That says for the consultation, like this is my fee to scope out your project, to hear, you know, to interview you, to get all that information and to give you a pitch of this is the scope and this is what we're gonna provide. But I think you always want that on the front end. And if you have that on the front end, then you know the cost, you know the time involved, and you can create a proper payment method. But I also think you wanna be flexible with those payment methods. I don't think every client is gonna be the same. I appreciated. Uh, some people that I've worked with on some pretty high dollar projects for us and we did they had their set payment method, which we did the first time. The second time we came to them because of the, the cost, we actually asked for an adjusted payment schedule, but we had a relationship with them. They knew we were good for it. And so they actually extended that payment process for us over the period of time. And so having that flexibility, I think is important too. I don't think you want to get yourself set into this is the only way we accept payments ever.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting insight as well, James. Thank you for that. Um, before we continue with our questions we'd just like to take a short break for our sponsors and we'll be back with you soon
2: john and i would like to take a moment and thank wp engine for being the first official sponsor of mastermind.fm we're honored to have such a great host investing in this show as well as all of our listeners As we were discussing this new partnership, the team over at WP Engine provided us with an exclusive offer just for Mastermind.fm listeners. This offer is for four months free when you pay for a year of hosting. To take advantage of this great offer, simply enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. As someone who runs an e-commerce business, I can't stress enough the importance of having solid hosting and WP Engine is one of the best. If you haven't settled on a host or you're thinking about making a switch, uh, we hope you'll give WP Engine a try. And send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm and let us know about your experience with their fantastic service.
0: Okay, so we got another question from Mitchell. Let's see what he's gonna call us this time. We've got we had gangsters and champs so far.
1: <laughs> hey champs, um, Mitchell here. One of the first topics uh, I'd like to introduce or I'd love to hear about is um, how you guys made the jump from uh, an agency into a product business. Now, um, a little bit maybe about uh, why you guys made the jump. I've, I've, you've touched on it a bit, but you know what were your expectations before doing it? And then once you were in the game making products, Uh, you know how accurate were your um, expectations i'm guessing not very but you know what were some of the things that you learned you know especially because i meet a lot of agency owners and services and products are two very different things and some people end up running uh, two entirely separate businesses Um, some may have integrated them better but uh you know how do you make that jump from one to the other or how do you manage both at the same time and you know what are some of the things you should really look out for and you know more importantly like What's the why for doing it? Um, And then I guess maybe elaborate on that. But yeah, making that shift and, um, you know, just setting people up for success in the product game. All right. uh, Thanks.
0: Yeah. So we've just been talking about um, payment schedules and payments. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to get out of the agency business. Uh, I loved working with new projects and new clients every time building something different. However, the account management and project management was just not for me. So I ended up being much happier with a product business and my blog business. So I guess it's important to start off by saying that different personalities might be better suited for either the products business or the services agency business. James, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. I think it depends on your goals, right? Like when the reason we switched to products is because I, I got into my wanting to run my own business so that I could be my own boss but when you're in an agency or a freelance business what you find out is you have multiple bosses because every single client is your boss they've paid you money to get work done and they're gonna call you at all hours regardless of what parameters you put on that they have their expectations you have yours but you work for them with a product People are buying in for what your product does at the moment that they buy it. Now there may be bugs, and there may be things that you work out, or there may be uh, conflicts that you work through with them. But they are they are kind of known knowns, Like you know, there's going to be some inter- some interactions that you need to deal with, and you'll you'll figure those things out. But once you figure that out for one person, you figured it out for thousands of other people, and so you end up not with you know you may say, well you know you have twenty thousand customers, but I don't have twenty thousand bosses. They bought a product to do what it does. And I find that a much more pleasant experience than having, say, 10 or, you know, 10 people throughout the year who are telling me what to do, uh, and when to do it and keeping me up at night. So that's one of the main reasons why I enjoy the product bit space.
0: Yeah. There's definitely a much lesser degree of pressure from our clients when we have like, we have thousands of clients now as a product business, but the pressure is much less. And a curious story actually, when I had the agency in Malta, I was dreaming of traveling the world and everything. And once I was at a meeting with one of the initial meetings with a client and uh, one of the things he said like really struck me because he said, yeah, we've been burnt in the past by developers not fulfilling their promises. So we really want to make sure that if we choose you, you'll be here and available and not maybe on some beach in Thailand, you know, I said it in a very disparaging way, you know. And at that very moment, I said, yes, that is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to a beach in Thailand and work from there. (laughs) And that was the starting point for me. From then on, I I knew I needed to start moving away from the agency business and towards the product business, because let's face it, if you have clients breathing down your neck all the time and calling you and you're living on the other side of the world. There's time difference to take into account of, there's days when the internet might not even work if you're in some place where internet is not reliable, and a load of other things that happen you know, during your, your travels. So you cannot really have these day-to-day relationships with clients. And so that might be a very important consideration. If you want to travel, products are way more suited for that lifestyle.
2: Another part of that question right was making that transition from agency work or doing some other thing and then transitioning into products For me I was working a full-time job as a web administrator for a local um, credit union and at while also doing freelance work on the side so I kind of had the uh, kind of the triple, attack of doing freelance work in the evenings doing my full-time job during the day and then wanting to build a product as I was going uh, through that process um, my initial advice is take it slow build something build a minimum viable product get something out the door quickly so you can see what needs to be you know how you can improve it and how you can iterate on it and and let it grow from there and just kind of see if it's going to be something that can transition one of those things off of your plate. Um, it doesn't happen, generally doesn't happen overnight. few people release a product and then say, oh, I'm quitting agency work next month because this has just taken off. It takes some time, and so you have to learn how to manage your time. Um, but I think in the end, most people would say, not everyone, and this is there's always exceptions to the rule, most people would say you're either going to do product work or you're going to do agency freelance work. You probably don't want to try to maintain both because one will tend to cannibalize the other. I know a lot of people who are trying to do both and they find that because they're agencies where they're making all their money, because it's what they've done for the longest time, they keep stealing their developers from the product. And so the product never gets pushed forward to where it could make more money for them. So you kind of have to make that distinction, learn how to manage that time and decide if this is a serious venture for you. Because if it is, you're going to have to invest a portion. Maybe you pull back the agency work a little bit, and you take one less client or whatever, and you take that client, you treat yourself like a client, and you block out time to build your product, do some marketing, things like that. Um, you're just going to have to invest in yourself when you're already got so much, you know, everything
0: else on your plate. Yeah, and tying into what you're saying, uh, um, one of the most important things that I did from, for moving from an agency to a product business was moving, actually moving myself to a a place where the costs of living were much lower and where I could have a longer runway to develop my product. Plus moving, physically moving to a totally different culture and environment gave me that break and find that, that clear line. Of distinction in my life between okay before I used to have an agency now I'm all into product so I could I found that I could concentrate much easier on the product side of things whereas when I was back home I used to struggle between having both the agency and the product however I must say also another thing that helped me was having recurring payments keep coming in from my days as a as an agency Things like uh, maintenance and uh, hosting. So these things, if you build a large enough client base, can have um, the recurring income effect that can cover your basis, say, for more than a year if need be, you know? So you've got that regular income coming in and uh, during the other time, you can just build your product. Because let's face it, supporting well-built websites and hosting websites doesn't really take much time.
2: And that's a big part of it, right? You just have to block out that time, build up that that recurring support agreement, hosting agreement, income, uh, and that can that could at the, at some point give you to the point where you can take one or two or three less clients that year and really double down on a product. Um, I, I I I would advocate to almost treating yourself like a client, setting yourself a rigid schedule you know, setting yourself some timeframes, some timelines, build your product, get something out the door, build the website, start selling it, however you're going to distribute it uh, and start that process. But I think that's a good way to get started.
0: So we've answered all the questions submitted via SpeakPipe. However, we also have two other email questions. One of them is from Shadi. Shadi asks us about our comments on the Avada theme that we spoke about in episode eight. So his question is, uh, you mentioned that you do not recommend using themes such as Avada. Can you please dive a bit deeper into why and what are the pros and cons of using similar Swiss Army knife themes? Thank you.
2: (laughs) I think essentially a lot of times we come at this from being product people. So we support a product that gets used in a lot of environments. And more times than not, themes like Avada and certain page builders and I, I you know we don't want to single out Avada specifically there are lots of different all-purpose uh, kitchen sink type themes and what we find is when you add so much complexity to a theme you actually add a lot more places of failure things that can go wrong and so from product standpoints, the reason we don't recommend themes like that, generally speaking, is because they end up causing a lot of conflicts with our own products. Not that our pro- our products work on every other theme, but these really complex themes seem to do things in, sometimes in a non-WordPress way or they take a different approach to something they're trying either they're trying to be innovative or whatever and it causes conflicts with our products so that's one reason from a from our standpoint why we generally do not recommend it
0: Jean, do you have uh, another one you'd like to add i mean yeah personally apart from what you mentioned it's more of uh, a i think where i like to work with with products which do one thing and one thing do one thing well right I don't really like Swiss Army Knife products, not only in the WordPress space, but also like in the physical object space, you know? The only thing that does multiple stuff, which I own, is Ariel Swiss Army Knife. So <laughs> I prefer buying stuff, which does one thing and does it well.
2: Yeah, and and, and again, you're going to have less problems and conflicts with something that's built simply to do a single thing. The other, uh, the other problem with those tend to be lock-in. So we get a lot of people who, you know, want to switch their theme to something else for some reason, and they can't because once they switch their theme, they end up with all these short codes and foreign text in everything that they have built, and they wonder why, and it's because a lot of these builders use these short codes to modify the structure of how items are displayed in your content. And so another reason why we generally don't recommend them is for that very reason. It's not that there aren't page builders out there that, don't, that do things the right way. I, you know, For instance, I highly recommend Beaver Builder is a great product that doesn't use short codes but lets you build your site on the front end, has a lot of functionality to it. Um, so there are solutions out there, but there's just a, a lot of the kitchen sink ones uh, tend to be problematic.
0: Yeah, definitely. And they tend to bulk stuff which should, which is more appropriate for being in a plugin, but they bulk it in the theme. And then when you switch the theme over, you've lost a lot of content, which should actually have been stored within the database of WordPress rather than tied so closely to the theme.
2: A perfect example of that sometimes is when you get a theme and you realize it like shipped with seven different slider solutions not a slider seven different types of slider solutions and that's that's when you know you you've you've entered a
0: dangerous zone (laughs) great so the last question we're tackling comes from matthew zamit and matthew says an episode for jean mentioned the topic of looking at your numbers and business plan with an accountant would be interesting to hear more about that what plans to have in place, ambitions, etc. Great stuff on the podcast, and looking forward to more episodes. So, James, what's your take on this?
2: Well, I will say, as kind of a, uh, a preview to the future, I know we plan on having an episode where we're going to try to get an accountant uh, on to talk about finances in your business and the numbers of your business. So, we'll definitely be talking about that uh, in more in depth on on a surface level, you'll get a lot of pl- products, especially in the WordPress space, where they boast about their sales. And they're like, Oh, well, we've got this, you know, this many sales this month, and we grew this many sales this month, but which they don't ever talk about is their expenses. What they don't ever talk about is what is their actual profit, and a lot of these companies probably can't tell you their profits because they're just looking at the sales numbers. They're new in this business space, and so the only thing they're tracking is gross sales, but gross sales is not your bottom line, and if you run your business based on gross sales, you may find yourself one day going, I can't pay my bills because that's not the number, right? So I would highly recommend, uh, as far as tracking, is really keep a tight look at the expenses, the money that's coming out, and what is your profit, your money, that after you know gross sales minus all of your expenses, all of your cost of goods sold, all of that stuff, like, subtract that out. And what is your profit? And that is where you start to run your business on. Uh, a book I would recommend is a book called Profit First. A uh, great example of just taking that mentality instead of you know running your business the way we normally do, which is actually just what I said, right? Take your gross revenue, subtract your expenses, and then that's your profit. Take your gross revenue, decide how profitable you want to be, remove your profit And then say, what's left is what I'm going to run my business on. That's how I'm going to do it. And if you start to do that from the very beginning, you'll actually start running a much healthier business right out of the gate and a business that can be profitable and remain profitable through the whole process
0: that's excellent advice james um definitely if you're starting off as an entrepreneur with your own product make sure that you're educated in business and finance i'm not talking about getting an accountancy degree but make sure you read as much as you can books like what the one james mentioned and one of my favorites is the personal mba which gives you a sort of a broad coverage of all the topics you're likely to encounter during your time in business. And yes, definitely um, make an appointment with an accountant to see what structure suits you best. There are different structures. You can be a sole trader, you can have a company. You can also be a digital nomad these days. Many WordPress developers are moving from country to country and they might not be aware of the legislation involved and where they should be paying taxes. So it's important to get this down at the very early stages because it will cause problems in the future.
2: Uh, I would just say, too, when you're looking for an accountant, a good accountant will be able to sit down, hear your business and give you a list of all of the filings and all of the taxes that you're on the hook for right out of the gate. Um, that was the one of the kind of most eye-opening things for me as I sit down with an accountant. He just pulled out his sheet and he says, all right, here are all of the documents that people are generally on the hook for. And then he just highlighted all the ones that pertain to me. These are the ones that we're going to file. And he says, and I'm going to handle all of these. And I'll also handle these if you want me to. It's up to you. And that was actually... I mean, that was probably the best consult I could have had, just seeing that those filings and knowing that's what I needed to deal with. Uh, so uh, getting with a good accountant who can understand your business a little bit, and you know I look at my accountant as a partner in my business. They're helping me make smart business decisions and financial decisions. So uh, you might consider taking that same approach.
0: And I will also add that uh, things in the U.S. are much, much easier than in Europe or other areas. Uh, The thing is that many accountants, let's say in Europe, because I've got more experience here in Europe, they're not uh, familiar with uh, online businesses, plug-in sales or whatever. So all this is going to be fairly new to them. Plus, legislation might not always be that adapted to online business. So they have to figure things out so you have to be really careful and that's why i said that you should read a lot on your own account. be sure that you know what questions to ask when you go to the accountant and get a good accountant absolutely okay so one other thing that now that i remember is you should go to meetups or talk with other developers get into a mastermind ask about their accountants and whether they have any recommendations. Usually, recommendations are the best way to find accountants that are well-versed in online business, else it's really a real mess to find a good accountant.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. One of the things that was important to me, I had an accountant who was actually in Austin, Texas, uh, and then I switched over to finding an accountant that was local. And the reason I did that is I wanted somebody who was very... Uh, in tune with my state taxes and understood my local taxes, uh, and so understood my ge- my geographical region and how I do business. So, that sometimes can be helpful because we did run into some some issues where the person who was out of state was not as familiar with my particular state's tax code, and uh, got myself into some some itchy spots occasionally. <laughs>
0: Excellent. So we covered quite a number of questions today. We encourage you to keep sending in those questions. It's our pleasure to listen to your questions and do our best to reply to them. And that's it, I guess. You can always find us on Twitter, James. You can find me at James Laws on Twitter. And myself at Jangalea. You can also leave a review. It would be so generous to leave a review on iTunes and can also submit questions via our website, mastermind.fm. Thank you very much for listening and see you at the next episode. See you next time. Bye.